Sorry, I'd like to continue the discussion about one second. This year is dedicatedly to a Pinchas Ben Rabbi a Cohen. The dedicator wanted to be kept anonymous, and that's also schut. It's a big merit for the person who is nifta that the one who is reminding us of him wants to be anonymous. It's a big thing that stuck it to be anonymous. Not always uh, considered. In any event, we're talking about Yehuda. Talk about Yehuda and his credentials to become the king of Israel. And this is one of the stories that is taking place in this parasha, in the parasha Vayechi, and began in the previous parasha, the parasha Vayigash. But in order to understand it, we have to go to, back to the parasha of Vayeshev. Because in the parasha of Vayeshev, you have the story of Yehuda and Tamar. And the story of Yehuda and Tamar is kind of a, uh, like a bone in the throat of all the storytelling. I mean, we're not sure exactly what, it's hard to know what exactly Yehuda did that was so wrong. Uh, but because, because wrong generally means halachically wrong. And since there were no halachic marriages that took place at that time, it was one of the ways that the Chazal excused Yaakov of Vinu for marrying two sisters, which, as you may have heard, is forbidden, uh, is the fact that it, either he did it before Matan Torah, that's one kind of answer that's given, not the kind of answer that everybody likes, because you know there is a tradition in Chazal that the Avot kept Kol HaTorah Kula. That somehow the Avot intuited what the Torah wants of us. And intuiting it, they have to keep it. So they were able to keep it. Why wasn't Yaakov able to avoid this pitfall of marrying, of marrying two sisters? Uh, so that's the answer of before before Matan Torah. Another answer that's brought down in Chazal is the fact that there may be a difference between the way you act in Chutz Eretz and the way you act in Eretz Yisrael. There is this famous Ramban which discusses in Chazal that, uh, that in Chutz Eretz, Kiyum, uh, this is the way I understand it. I mean, you could discuss it, but the way I understand it is what Chazal said was that in Chutzla Aretz, it's a memory kind of thing. You don't want to forget how to do mitzvot, so that when you come to Eretz Yisrael, you'll be able to do them straight away. You won't have any difficulty. But actually, uh, somehow, the connection between Eretz Yisrael and mitzvot is so intimate that it even includes mitzvot bigufo. You know, mitzvot like, uh, like shaking a lulav or eating a matzah. I mean, what difference does it make? where you are, but the Chazal apparently uh, uh, indicate that even those kinds of mitzvot are connected to the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael. The sanctity of Eretz Yisrael as reflected in mitzvot HaTaliot Ba'aretz, all of those mitzvot that we do only in Eretz Yisrael, right? Some agricultural mitzvot are also done, but it doesn't matter, but most of the agricultural mitzvot are done exclusively in Eretz Yisrael. And when we talk about the idea of Kedushat Eretz Yisrael, that's what we mean. We mean that we have, I mean, you might mean something else also, but on the most accepted and literal level, it means, it means that, uh, that you are uh, uh, in a place where God's uh, tzivui is more apparent to you is more necessary. And so, maybe there was a different time, we're talking about Yaakov Avinu, right? Remember, I had a long kind of footnote. Yaakov Avinu married two sisters. How did he marry two sisters? Well, maybe because he was a chutzlaretz when he married them. When he married them, and then the Ramban, he gives a further, you know, when they came back to Eretz Yisrael, one of the two sisters died. Yes? 
So why she die? Why she die? Because uh, like to free Yaakov Avinu from the burden of having to divorce somebody or having to rid himself of one of the... So, so in this way, the, the love story of Yaakov and his wives could continue and, and he wouldn't be transgressing the prohibition of marrying two, uh, two wives. So I say, I say, when we get to serve Yudav Tamar, if you want to know what Yudav did wrong, you have to make some kind of assumption about what he should have done or what he might have done or what was wrong about it or not. So that assumption is not so obvious. But, uh, but uh, in any event, the first person, let's look at the top of the page. I'll show you what I mean. Vahibahit ahi, here two problems. Vayered Yehuda me'et echav. This parak and this story begins after we are told about the sale of Yosef in Mitz- to Mitzrayim. Right, it's sort of a break in the story. And the break in the story, the break in the story is this story about Vayered Yehuda me'et echav. Vayet, Vayet means sort of in the direction of, towards Achiv, Echav, I'm sorry. Vayet ad ish adulami ushmo chira. We don't know who this ish adulami is, and we don't know what chira is, what kind of language it is, what kind of a person. But it sounds like, from the next pasuk, Vayasham Yehuda bat ish kna'ani ushmo shua. Sounds like it means a Canaanite. Right? The important, the important thing about that word Canaanite is, be, is that Abraham and Yitzchak uh, avoided at all costs uh, their children marrying Canaanites. So if this person, whoever it was, was a Canaanite, so that's an annoying that's an, an annoying fact. So if you look at the Ramban, we'll go backwards, we'll do the Ramban first. But you see the Ramban, that very long Ramban? Don't have time to learn it. But if you look in next to the last line in the Ramban, on the, on the page here, it says, Ki chalila David u tzidkenu. I guess it means Adonainu u tzidkenu. David HaMelech who became Mashiach Tzidkenu, right? And now the way we understand it, the way we understand the tradition and who David HaMelech was and that the recurrence of the family of David is special, even though many of them were not, uh, not really righteous. Nevertheless, it says, He says, how could it be that that this uh, uh, woman was the daughter of a Canaanite and eventually had children with Yehuda. And those children, in effect, had children of children and came into David HaMelech. So you have to get the, the lingo here in the Ramban. It's very important. It says, it was, This is an absolutely unacceptable interpretation. It, it, it was, you read the parasha, Read the parasha, this is something, and you come up with an unacceptable result. That if this girl came from a Canaanite family, it would mean that David HaMelech was the son of a Canaanite woman. And it would mean that even though Avraham and Yitzchak were very careful to avoid uh, their children marrying into the Canaanites, here we are, David HaMelech, the Mashiach himself, is a Canaanite. So that becomes an unacceptable shot. Like you get the kind of, uh, uh, and so he says, he goes on and says, oh, he says, Miserik Nan, Ha'eved, Ha'mikulal, the one that was cursed, right? The children of Noah. He says, Rabotenu Amru, then he quotes a Medrash, and the Medrash says, Bitamar, Shaita Bitoshel Shem, Vuhu Kohena Ela Yonzo. I understand the Ramban says why the Chachomim said that even though it doesn't seem to be the case. But they had no choice. He doesn't say that, that, that we're adding. Right? It would seem that the Chachamim were faced with a blank wall. 
They just could not fathom how it could be that David HaMelech would be the son of a Canaanite woman. Mele, David HaMelech was the son of the son of the son of a very strange relationship that they could bear. But to say that he was the son of a Canaanite woman when the Ovos were against, you know, clearly against being integrated with the Canaanites, that's too much. That's too much to bear. So that's the second pasuk. The third pasuk is Vatar Vakele Ben Vaikrachimo Er. So this is the story. She had a, had a son whose name was uh, Er. Vatar Od Vatele Ben Vatikrachimo Onan. Vatosev Od Vatele Ben Vatikrachimo Shela Vayakbichzibilitao. So all of these words, these words are like problematic. Not problematic, they're interesting. They mean something that the first have tried to say, but as far as we're concerned, as far as we're concerned, what happened was Yehuda had three children with this woman, Er, Onan, and Shelah. And then the story goes on. The story goes on, and uh, son number one dies. She married uh, Tamar, and then son, son number two dies, and son number three is too young. And so Tamar was worried that she wouldn't have any children that she wouldn't have a family, so she uh, placed herself in a, like a prostitute's enclave. And along came Yehuda, had relations with her, and, uh, and she became pregnant. Now this is seen to be a terrible thing that Yehuda did. Up to now, that's the, that's the story. Yehuda sort of redeems himself. If you look at the second pasuk of the page, under the Ramban, he came and he, uh, he wanted to punish this woman. He heard that. Uh, so she came out and she had a... Uh, 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 Yehuda had left his uh, credit card home. So he left, uh, he left some stuff. And she said, well, whoever owns this stuff is the father of the child. And uh, Yehuda said, Look at the pasuk. Vayomer tzadkami meni. Tzadkami meni whatever that might mean. But it sounds like he has, uh, I don't know if he's doing tshuva or he's just unhappy or he's sad. Yeah, the, the second, under the Ramban, there's another pasuk. Vayaker Yehuda, Yehuda recognized the stuff that she had, recognized that it was his. Vayomer, tzadkami meni. She is the righteous one in this story. She, Tamar. Because I didn't, I didn't give her, I didn't tell her to wait until Sheila would grow up and would be able, I guess, in, in modern, in, in halachic lingo, to do yibum, right? To live with her and hopefully have a child. He did not have any further relations with her. So Rashi says, Rashi says, Tzadka bidvareha mimeni. Mimeni was taken by Chazal here as being a strange word. Like he should have said, Tzadka, we know what we're talking about. Talk about Tamar, what is mimeni? Tzadka. So Rashi quotes Chazal. And Rabotainu Zal Darshu this is like a little hard to understand. A bat kol, I don't know exactly what a bat kol is. It's like a nevuah that is open to the general public. It's not to a navi. It's, uh, it reverberates somehow. Uh, that's a bat kol. Years ago, Sean Lieberman wrote an article in there's a volume called Hellenism, you know, Greek and Jewish Palestine, Hellenism, Jewish Palestine. Wrote an article. If you're interested, you can look at it. I mean, it's an interesting article about Batkol. About Batkol. I don't know exactly what a Batkol is, but I know the Chazal said that Nevuah ended. Nevuah ended with the prophets Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi. That was Sof Nevuah. <laughs> 
but that there were things that happened after that, which are not perhaps not nevuah, but kind of heightened awareness of God's will, you might say. One of the things that happened was batko. The Gemara mentions in several places uh, the batko. So Rashi says, Rabotenu Zaldar Shushi Yatsabat Kolva Amra Mimeni. Right? It's not even Yehuda who says it. Yehuda said, Tzadka. And the Batkol screams out, Mimeni Umeiti Yatsuhadvarim. Lefishaita Tsnua Beveit Chamia. She was um, uh, modest. In the house of a father-in-law, Gazarti sheyitzumi mena melachim. Gazarti sheyitzumi mena melachim. So this is an answer, even though it's backwards in history time, but it's the answer to the Ramban. Right? The Ramban said it's inconceivable that this kind of relationship would produce uh, uh, the King of Israel, the Mashiach. And Rashi has already pointed out there wasn't a relationship, but it was her modesty. So Rashi says even more. Rashi says Yehuda was righteous, Tabar was righteous, everybody's righteous. So of course, even though the background story seems to be strange, it is important that everybody, that, uh, that everybody should understand that, that, that this is the reason that, uh, that the kings came, from, came from, uh, from Israel. Okay, you look at there's a Svarno. I don't know if I've ever quoted a Svarno. Oh, I have one. There's one Svarno that I always quote. But this is not it. This is like a new Svarno. You know, Svarno was, for some reason, he was, a, there was room on the page and the printers put it into the Mikraot Gidolot. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know who made that decision. How I mean, they figured out that it was, after all, every page is different in the Mikraot Gidolot. You know, you have a different space where they figured out that the Svarna would be perfect. Uh, and it worked out. You know, it, it is perfect. It's on the page. Every page of the you ever notice that every page of Mikraot Gidolot looks like it's filled? <laughs> it's like, like the Rabbad when he wrote his commentary he said oh this one should be a long one because there'll be a lot of room on this page that, that I'll be printed on but they were and they didn't have computers you, you know that there was a time before computers right today today to do that you, you just put in the, the four things and you say to the computer make it fit and the computer makes it fit but in those days that they did it with, uh, with the type, movable type. You know, like you took a letter, you stuck it on a board, and then, and then somebody could just figure it out because if, if it would take too long to figure out how to print the page, the printing would be out of business. But they did it. Somehow they did it. So the Svarno, here's the Svarno. Are so, you saying that the Svarno wasn't worthy to be on? Was what? Are you implying that the Svarno wasn't worthy of being on the page? No. Why would I, would I want to be taught and feathered? <laughs> Why would I say a thing? No, I don't mean that. What I mean is, what I mean is that uh, in learning, you know, most people, you know, generally learn the Rashi, and then if you, the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban, because the Ramban quotes the Ibn Ezra and Rashi. He kind of says, you can't live without the Ibn Ezra and Rashi. So then there's the, the, and then the Unculus and the Targum Yushalmi also get in there. But beyond that, I mean, so the Rashbam gets into the page because he was the Rashi's grandson and worked with him. So everybody assumes that there's a close connection between them. And that's it. Is that it? Sforno was Italian. What? Sforno was an Italian. Yeah. And so. it was printed in Italy. Okay, and therefore, you think it's like, like, uh, like uh, the Vilna Shas? They put in all the perushim of people who lived in Vilna. If you didn't live in Vilna, you couldn't get into the, you couldn't get into the Shas. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be 100%. Because it's the fingerprint of, the, of Sanchino, you know, like, I want one of my guys. <laughs> Somebody who looks, who wears my kind of clothing, you know, not those other guys.
Okay, could be, could be, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure somebody said something about it somewhere. I will look it up. I will look it up since it came up. What I, but what I think is important is that this Rashi, this Rashi answers the question that the Ramban left open. And he says, no, they're all righteous. Tamar is righteous and Yehuda is righteous. And therefore, he says, um, <laughs> and so the righteousness of Tamar is included in, the, in this parish of Rashi. Now, what does this Svarno say? Svarno says this. He says, even though she, Tzadkami many, what did Yehuda say? He says, even though she approached me in a deceitful, in a deceitful manner, like she didn't say who she was, I didn't even see her. I didn't even see who she was. Right? You've been talking about when Tamar presented herself as a prostitute. Right? I didn't even see who she was, Cloud. I sent her stuff. I left her my credit card, which included a Gdi. He says she nevertheless did it for a good purpose. She she was uh, she wanted to do the right thing. She wanted to have the correct result. That's what she wanted. She wanted to have children. She wasn't prostituting herself in order to have pleasure or to give pleasure. She was interested in having children. He says, she, after this encounter, she went back to Almenuta. She went back to widowhood. She didn't continue to sit around because uh, when Yehuda went looking for her, he said, where's this prostitute who usually sits over here? They said, no such thing. There was never such a, never such a woman. He says, Yoter mimashet tzadakti ani b'kiyum emunati shaita hakavana bo lichvodi ulasag irvuni. He says, he says, I acted in a less uh, uh, proper manner. I came back here only to find my stuff, to get my stuff back. Shaitachlit nifsad digarua kamaram zal gedola avera lishma mimitzla shelo lishma. He says, that's Tamar. That's Yehuda. Right? He, was, uh, he, he did it for, for some other reason, for pleasure. She didn't do it for pleasure. He did it for pleasure. Which is not, that's not to say that they didn't have pleasure, but that, that's a, that's a different, uh, different story. Okay? So Yehuda, in this chapter, remember where we are. We're in Vayeshev. Uh, after the sale of Yosef to Mitzrayim. And Yosef was sold at the advice of Yehuda, who assumed leadership, who assumed the leadership of all the brothers. Reuven left for whatever reason. He left the scene. And along came these Yishmaelim. And Yehuda said, Ma betza. Ma betza meaning... Why do we profit by leaving you, uh, Yosef in the pit where he will probably die? Let's sell him, and then we'll take the money home, and we'll we'll be happy. Okay. So if you look, uh, you look at the uh, here, Peric, at the bottom of the page. Okay, Vayomer Yosef Elechav Geshuna Elai Vayigashu Vayomer Ani Yosef Achichem Hashem Echatem Otim Etzraima Oh, Vatomer Yosef El Geshuna Elai What's Geshuna Elai? What does it mean? It means come to me, come towards me Like you'd say to somebody, you want to tell them a secret But tell somebody, ears only, ears only But, but the Chachamid, the Mephoshim didn't quite understand it because Yosef and the brothers were talking. They were talking before this. They were all in a room and they were talking to each other. Yosef was talking in, in Egyptian 
there was a translator, and they were listening and talking back to him in Hebrew, right? But so what's the geshu the geshu na elai? So Rashi says, look at the Rashi. Ra'autam nisogim lachorehem. Amar achshav achai nichlamim. My my brothers are unhappy, embarrassed, sad, all of those things. Charalahem. Belishon raka vitachanunim. Lashon raka vitachanunim. Meaning, quietly. He spoke to them quietly, so he had to say, come, come closer. Raka vitachanunim. I don't know how you do that, whether that's what he means. The Pesudaraka is a mild, a mild kind of language. And Tachanonim is, is he, he, uh, he beseeched them. He beseeched them. That's, that's Tachanonim. Then he says, And he showed them that he was circumcised. Why did he show them that he was circumcised? According to Rashi. I mean, what's the, what's the Pshad? Because Yosef figured that they wouldn't believe him. It was, what did Yosef say? Yosef said, Ani Yosef achichem, Hashem So he said it. He said, Ani achichem Yosef. So the, the, the brothers had been kind of fooled by this guy several times. They had been misled, at least in their opinion they had been misled. So if he says, if this guy goes and he says, Ani achichem, Ani Yosef achichem, well, they're not going to believe him. So Rashi says he wanted to bring them a riot. He wanted to bring a proof that what he says is more likely than less likely. So he showed them that he was circumcised. I mean, there's no, uh, I guess, there would be no way to imagine that a, an Egyptian potentate would be circumcised. The next pasuk. Do not be unhappy, or what Rashi says. Rashi says... Uh, uh, do not be uh, neurotic. Do not fear. So what is it that Yosef? Interesting. It's I find it interesting. Yosef is arguing. Yosef is arguing. Look here. If you just he said to his brothers, if you're just sensitive to the idea that God runs things in the world, you'll understand what I'm saying. He, that's, what, that's what Yosef says. It's a, it's a new idea. He says, In order that you should live, God sent me before you. It was, he says, forget about what you did. What you did is of no importance. It, you sold me to be but It's just part of the plan. Just part of the plan. It was you. You were uh, uh, non-important actors in the in the process. The next and uh, the next pasuk, the the famine has gone on for two years. It'll be another five years where nothing grows and nothing is harvested. The, again, pasuk zayin, pasuk zayin, right? I am a messenger of God. It's not you. It's not you. In other words, Yosef is trying to, to convince them that he doesn't have to forgive them of anything. He, there's no debt that remains. And that was the fear that the brothers had. This, if this guy is Yosef, what's going to happen to us? He says, nothing's going to happen to you because you didn't do anything. You, the brothers, didn't do anything. Of course, this is what, the, what I understand from the Pesukim. Pesuk chet, vata lo atem shalachtem otik heina. Ki ha'elokim. That's what Yosef says. You, you're not responsible. You didn't do it. You are not you are not uh, 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 actors here. You have no part of this story. You're not connected. God did it. Listen to this. God placed me. I'm a father to Paro. Adon, a master, to his entire household. 
Now you think you can do that? Yosef says, you think you, the, my brothers, could have produced this result by selling me to, uh, as a slave to be tried, if it was not determined by heaven? Certainly not. Certainly not. Quickly, go back to my father, not to your father, but to my father. This is what you should tell him again. Samani Elokim Laadon Lekol Mitzrayim. I have, God has, uh, has placed me as a master over all the Egyptians. Come down to me. Do not, uh, do not uh, uh, tarry. Do not tarry. That's what, uh, that's what the psukim say. So that Yosef is presenting an argument, and the argument is don't be afraid because you're not responsible. Don't be afraid because nothing you did means anything compared to what the result was, which was entirely divinely ordained. So if anybody, if there's anybody has to call to question uh, why Yosef was sold to Mitzrayim, you have to turn to heaven. You have to say, heaven, why was Yosef, why did Yosef go to Mitzrayim in that way? But you can't go to the brothers. The brothers were just the intermediates. The brothers are the intermediates. It's like Sancheirif destroyed the Bayit, uh, uh, the, the exile of the ten tribes, and the Vuchadetza destroyed the first temple, and, and uh, Titus destroyed the second temple. Well, we don't care about them, because they were messengers. They were messengers. They're, they're irrelevant. They're irrelevant to, uh, to what we call history. So now look again at the Rashi. Geshunai lai. They're embarrassed, they're unhappy. So he tried to establish the fact that he was in fact Yosef, the brothers. This is Rashi says this also different places. Eretz Israel Gavoa Mikol Haaratzot. So you have to go on Aliyah to Eretz Israel with Nevesh Nevesh without Nevesh Nevesh. You have to go on Aliyah to Eretz Israel. And Yaakov is instructed even in this pasuk Rida Eli Al Tamod. You see the last words in the pasuk Rida Eli. Come down, come down to me. Turn the page. Turn the page. Okay, now we have a story. This story is in our parasha. We're still talking about Yehuda and Tamar, right? But, but we're, we're finding something out about Hashgacha, about God's watchfulness in the world. And Yosef says, God is in charge. Even about, and the little things are irrelevant. He says, what happens along the way? As long as God's will is done, you could ignore, I mean, you could have said, you could say, look, God is in charge of the big picture. The big picture was that Joseph had to get to Mitzrayim. But Joseph could have gotten to Mitzrayim by train, he could have gotten to Mitzrayim by plane, and he could have gotten to Mitzrayim with the Yishmaelim. Who determined that he went to the, with the Yishmaelim? That's with the brothers. And the brothers should really pay for that. They, they should, uh, you know, they, they were the ones who caused this discomfort. So of course the big picture is uh, the hands of God. But the little picture might be in the hands of men. That's a problem about Hashgacha Pratit, about uh, uh, God's watchfulness in the world. I mean, like you have to think about that. But, but here, in this, uh, in this uh, uh, these psukim, it would seem that Yosef is arguing that God's watchfulness on the big picture is all there is. That, that induces the smaller pictures as well, right? So, so the brothers don't get any credit for not leaving Yosef in the pit and letting him die there and taking him out and selling him, which gave him the opportunity to live. So they don't get credit for that. They're not being, they don't get demerits for, sending, for selling him and they don't get credit for, for, for that. So now look at this, these psukim. I have a few psukim. Yosef called his father and said, come, come with, uh, no, 
uh, his father called Yosef. His father called Yosef. Yaakov called Yosef, and he said, "Bring your kids with you. Bring your kids. You know, we'll have a we'll have a grandfather children day." So Vayikach Yosef Ichnehem at the Friday we know Mismol Yisrael and Menashe Mismolom Min Yisrael Vayagesh Elah. Okay, so here is we're coming to this this part of the day. You know, they finished playing Monopoly, and now they're going to get brachot. They're going to get their brachot. So one is to the right, one is to the left. We're not interested in that. By Yisrach Yisrael Yimino, by Yashet Al Ephraim, Buat Sa'ir Betzmolo Al Rosh Minashe, Sikelet Yadavki Minashe Bechodes. You explained that he did it somehow like this, that he wanted to do both. He wanted to recognize the Bechor of Menashe, but the uh, kind of the uh, the importance of Ephraim. So. Then also I don't, I'm not interested in that right now. Now, the next pasuk. The next pasuk says this. Vayivarech et Yosef. That's what it says. Even though it would seem that who is in line for a bracha? Ephraim and Menashe. But it says Vayivarech et Yosef. And then what's the bracha? That, that Yosef received Vayomar Ha'elokim asher itahalchu avotai lefanath The God who was worshipped by av, that, and, and the avot preceded God somehow Avraham Yitzchak Ha'elokim That God which is my shepherd. This is what Yaakov says to Yosef. And this is called the bracha. This is called the bracha. And we don't, you, we usually think of a bracha as like, you should have, you should have money, you should have wealth, you should have years of good health. That's a bracha. What's, what's the bracha here? And the next pasuk, the next pasuk is ha-malacha, which was a pasuk in the Torah before it became a song and the Malach who redeems me that Malach that angel will bless the children and they will be kind of called after. They will be alike Abraham and Yitzchak. So it seems like the two psukim, the two psukim, pasuk tetvav, vayivarech elokim et Yosef. What's the bracha that God gives to Yosef? That, that you should recognize the fact that God is in charge of the world. Again, is that what it says? Elokim aroeoti. No. Vayvarechet Yosef v'yom elokim asher talchu avotai lefanav Avraham Yitzchak v'Yitzchak elokim aroeoti meodi adayom aseh. So he says, he says, my bracha to you is that God watches over you like God watches over me. But that doesn't mean that that's the bracha. The bracha is that you should be aware that God is the God that Avraham was aware of and Yitzchak was aware of and Yaakov was aware of. That's my bracha to you. Yosef, now why would Yosef get, and in fact that's the bracha that he gives to Ephraim and Menashe in this place. And why would he give them this bracha? Why would he give them this bracha? So my, my, uh, uh, my thinking is that after all, he spent his whole life in Mitzrayim. He married an Egyptian woman. If he would have married an Egyptian woman and brought her back to the tent of Yaakov, oh, Mele, but he married an Egyptian woman in Egypt. And he had children who grew up in the Egyptian school system. Can you imagine that? We don't know if they went to day school or they studied uh, Torah with some uh, Lubavitcher teacher. We don't know about that. We know that everything they had was dependent on Yosef. And the thought that there might be attrition even for a person like Yosef is possible. So here comes, here comes Yaakov and Yaakov gives Yosef that bracha. He says to him, he says to him, 
okay, I know you've had a hard time, and that faith is difficult, and that faith without a community is even more difficult, and therefore my bracha to you is that you should be part of the community, 100% of Abraham. You, you did a wonderful thing, Yosef. You know, you're the greatest in the, in the world today. There's nothing like you, but I, I think you could do this, you could use this bracha. You could lose this bracha, okay? So now let's go back. Remember, remember that. This, this apparently was an issue. This apparently was an issue. Now you all know that the next week's parish is Shmot, right? Yosef and Yehuda and Yaakov, I mean, more or less, they're fading out in exchange for Moshe Rabbeinu. And one of the themes, one of the things in the, the life of Moshe Rabbeinu is how you, you get out of whatever it was that they put into you. You know, how you redeem yourself as a Jew in a world of non-Jews. I mean, for Yosef, for Moshe Rabbeinu, it was worse than anything you could imagine. His surrogate mother, right? His surrogate mother. He grew up in the palace. He was uh, he was accepted apparently by the uh, by the Egyptians as being an Egyptian. For him to become the leader of the Jews and get them out of Mitzrayim was tr- was a tremendous effort. But let's look at what the Shemesh Shmuel says again about Yehuda Tamar. Says something in, something instructive, I think. Mm-hmm. You see, it's the last the last source. It says Yehuda Tamar. As to the story of Yehuda Tamar, this is the Shem Yishmuel, Shem Yishmuel, Sofajor, right? He said, This is a quote from the Medrash. Translation, God invited the Malach that is in charge of desire. It was the implication is Yehuda, he would never have slept with her. He would never have done it. He would never have done it, but it had to be done. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu forced him to do it. Why did it have to be done? Because David HaMelech was eventually going to come out of this union. So the union had to be, this is a different start that the Medrash has to the whole story of Yaakov and Tamar. So it had to be done. So, Zimein lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu malach desire. Yehuda had no desire to, to live with her, but, but the, the, the Malach forced him, forced him, he kind of injected desire into, into Yehuda, and so he did it. This is the Shem Yishmuel. What do you mean? You mean that heaven is going to induce an Avera? This is the Medrash Rabbah he's quoting, right? He's not quoting some modern thinker. He's quoting, uh, you know, a well-known ancient thinker. He says, how could you say, he's saying to the Medrash, he says, how could you say that God forced Yehuda to do an Avera? Does that make any sense? But look at, look at his Svora, like how he explains it. It's not, like, it's not what you think. It's not that you think, well, God is good, so it should always come out good. But he says, this is what he says. Hello. Um, After all, the Gemara says in Brachas that God keeps the Torah and the mitzvot. Really, God puts on tefillin. Right? This is the Gemara, the Gemara says. So however you understand that Gemara, for, for the Shem Shmuel, it was pshat. Right? God does that. That's how God lives. God lives according to the Torah. The Torah is somehow obligates heaven just as it obligates us. Right? Of course, that's the end of the comparison. I mean, I can't imagine what it means for God to put on tefillin, but the idea somehow is that the Torah is not the Boy Scout manual in which you could, the Boy Scout manual could tell you to do a lot of knots for no particular reason. Right? Very few people would try to justify uh, that somehow today it's very important to know how to do all these knots. But if you do the knots properly, you get points. And then if you get enough points, you get kind of elevated in the, in the Boy Scout ladder of things. Uh, uh, the Torah is not like that. The Torah is not for getting points to get into Gan Eden. The Torah is in order to connect you somehow to the Rebbein Like, everybody agrees with that. The disagreement is, 
how much of the Torah, which part of the Torah, how you look at the Torah, there, there are disagreements about, about that in history. But everybody agrees that somehow the Torah is the, the thought of God. It's not an accidental, arbitrary group of, of, of uh, do's and don'ts. So he says, he says, since HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Shomer Mitzvotav, and one of the mitzvot, Varektiv, that's one of the mitzvot in the Torah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, take a blind person and put a, uh, a stumbling block in his way. It's a, it's a, it's a prohibition. It's a prohibition of the Torah. It's not just a cute idea. So why would God transgress a prohibition in the Torah? This is Shemeshvul says it. How can you say that God brought desire? on Yehuda, so he should do something wrong. How could you say a thing like that? Even though that idea certainly exists in, uh, in Hasidut. Right? That the answer kind of exists within the Kabbalists. We call Malchut Beitin Nishtela Dafka. I'm sorry, call Malchut Beit David. I'm sorry, call Malchut Beit David. At home, I made the same mistake. We call Malchut Beit David. This whole idea, right? Who brought up the Malchut Beit David? The Rabban. Remember the Rabban? The Rabban said, How could it be? that Malchut ben David would be the descendant of, of, of Yehuda and Tamar. So it can't be that they did anything wrong. And Rashi said that they were all righteous. Everybody was trying to be righteous. She was certainly trying to be righteous. So he says, Right after all, the, the future of, of Malchut in Am Yisrael came from this union. From this, uh, from this act, v'hava k'mohorat sha'ah. Ah, there you go. They uses another concept. Horat sha'ah means it's also, but I can do it in a one time, for one time. I can do it in order to protect the future of Am Yisrael, for example, so that even though it was prohibited to give korbanot outside of the Beit Hamikdash. Eliyahu Navi gave Korbanot in uh, Haifa, you know, on the Carmel, uh, because he wanted everybody to see that the, that the Kohanei HaBa'al, that the priests of Baal were unable to compete. They were not competitive with, uh, uh, with the V.A. Hashem. And so he did something that was asur in order to produce a necessary result and the Gemara calls that the Hora'at it's a teaching for the time, for a moment, right? For an hour, it's something that you could that you could do. So he says, he, the Shem Shemuel says the Hukim Hora'at the Shuv Enkan the Shuv Enkan So as far as her, she is concerned Rashi said she did it, Rashi the Svarno she did it in order to, uh, for, for a good purpose, in order to, uh, uh, to produce uh, the future generations. But the Shem Shmuel adds that that idea also applies to Yehuda, who did it as a Hora'at Sha'ah in order to make sure that the future, the Beit David, the future of the Beit David would be, would be ensured. So that, here you have it, that uh, according to according to Yosef according to Yosef what we're supposed to consider is the big picture and the big picture is God's decision to make, to create Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim in order to do that the people of Israel had to get to Mitzrayim and live there and be enslaved there once you know that Yosef said then anything that happens is somehow under the dominion of the, of the divine. 
But it would still be problematic to say that God would force people to do Averis in order to get the necessary result. And so we've seen that the Mephoshim deal with that and they absolve uh, Yehuda, Shem Shmuel, they, they absolve Tamar, and, uh, and uh, even though he said Tzadkami many, he means about that particular conversation that they were having, who is this and who, who is that. So Yehuda is in fact being prepared for the bracha that he receives in this parasha, in this parasha. And in fact, the Rashi, right, remember Yaakov gave brachot to Reuven, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda. When he said, when he came to uh, Yehuda, he said, Zot li Yehuda, Zot, he got pointed at him. Because Rashi says that Yehuda, Yehuda didn't realize that he was in the clear. And when he heard that Yaakov said uh, difficult things about Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, he thought he would get it next. And so he kind of moved away because he was worried about how he would be evaluated, how his, what his evaluation would be in light of the fact that he had this story with Tamar. So Yaakov said, don't worry. Zotli Yehuda, I have a bracha for, I have a bracha for Yehuda. So that Yehuda was, uh, had a difficult position, but it seems he, he worked it out. He received, uh, he received his legitimacy as a leader of the Israel, but he did not yet receive kingship. Did not yet receive kingship. And you know that the Ramban and Vayechi deals with the question of how it was that actually Shaul, Shaul, the first king of Israel, came from the tribe of Benjamin. But how was it possible that Shaul preceded uh, Yaakov? And in fact, uh, the Ramban uh, can't really get out of it. He can't get out of it. The Ramban says this interesting thing that in that Ramban and Chumash, that if Shaul HaMelech, of course, what would have happened if Shaul HaMelech had been righteous and that his children had been righteous? So how would David HaMelech have become king? So he answers, the answer to the Ramban is that if in fact that is true, if, uh, if that were to, were to be true, that Shaul would be righteous and deserving of the kingship, there would just probably be two kings in Israel who would have dominion next to each other, which is kind of a harbinger of the fact that the, that this, that the country split, a, uh, split apart into two parts. It was, it was like sort of implied somehow that it could be split into two. And, but it was split into two poorly because instead of Shaul HaMelech continuing Malchus, what they got was Yeravam Ben-Avat. And even though Yeravam Ben-Avat was anointed by a prophet, right? Remember? Achiyah HaShiloni. He was anointed by a prophet, which sounds good. Sounds like it should, the result was not good. And the wickedness of Yeravam Ben-Avat uh, surpassed probably the wickedness of all the other kings of, of Israel. Okay, have a good Shabbos.